Tis the season for those irresistible ginger thins, cozy blankets for cuddling by the fire, and making home warm and welcoming. For one-stop holiday shopping, visit your local IKEA or ikea-usa.com slash holiday. Right Night is a talk show with published authors, writers, and content creators discussing both the creative and technical sides of writing, as well as the industry surrounding it from novels to screenplays to comics and more. And now, here's your host, author Travis I. Sivart. Welcome to Write Night. We'll get to the topic and discussion in just a moment. For those listening to the podcast, we record the podcast on our live stream at twitch.tv slash Travis Tavern Talk, and we have a live interactive chat audience. You might hear the sound of the bell ding, and that means I want to interrupt somebody to read a comment or question. For those on the live stream, we won't read off everything you put in chat, but we'll try to get to the most relevant, the most amusing, or some combination of the both. Now, while we introduce ourselves, go and let us know what you're reading, writing, or creating tonight. There we go. While I'm waiting for you guys to post that to chat, let's go ahead and do our intros. I am uh, Travis Sivart, and I have never designed a role-playing game, just played them for a while, have designed a card game, and written novels in the game that I've run role-playing games in for 35 years. But our two co-hosts tonight have definitely a little more experience than me in that. John, can we start with you, and when you're done, pass it to Robert. I'm John Millington from Jersey's Cartoon Comics, a gaming store in Virginia, and I'm also from Conquest Publishing. You can visit us on the web at conquestuniverse.com and our new role-playing site, rpggaming.org. You want to tell them real quick your role-playing game credentials? Uh, right now, well, I've been playing D&D since I was playing football at UCLA <laughs> for quite some time. Uh, our new system is designed to make a character in under a minute, or you can spend a week making a character, but it's a D6 based uh, success-based game. Very good. Now, Robert? Hey, I am Robert Turk, author and game designer. Uh, my website is Wicked Clever. It's got a dash in the middle, so it's wicked-clever.com. Um, I have published four role-playing games. Four. Yeah, uh, published four role-playing games, working on another big role-playing game. I used to say I've been playing role-playing games for 20 years, just did the math in my head and it's 35 now um so i i have uh, almost i i mean i i've definitely played over a thousand different role-playing games we were, we were talking before the show about how many role-playing games are out there and i have played a ton of role-playing games it's a hobby just to play it and try it and read it and buy it and then learn and learn <laughs> and then put it on a shelf and dust it once in a while What's uh, your... Yeah, eventually most of mine end up going to other people. Right. That's, that's where most of mine are going. Let me ask you guys this, though. Just to kind of set the stage of where we're at, what's your favorite role-playing games? I'm going to go to throw my two cents in first because I'm horrible and selfish and pushy. Um, D&D, Dungeons & Dragons, only because 
I played it so long and I have so much stuff that relates to it. Not because it's the best out there. It's just com a very nice common ground that everybody usually has experience with or merchandise for. Other than that, I really love the White Wolf system, Vampire the Masquerade, and the other games that followed, though the five individual in initial games varied in my interest levels, but some of the, like, Hunters Hunted before it was its own game, or Mummy, be, um, these, just under Vampire Masquerade, very much captured my imagination. Tune the role-playing game for its simplicity. Marvel superheroes, because of the simplicity of the combat system, though creating a character, you get these really immensely overpowered things, and, and it's it's yeah. definitely flawed that way, and you have to have a good group of role players to give and take and balance. Um, and hold on, I feel like there's one or two more. Oh, Star Wars. The latest one, just because of the cinematic scope of the dice system. Yeah, the Fantasy Flight Games version. Right, right. And then last but not least, actually I enjoy Tefra, which is a smaller steampunk role-playing game. And like John was describing about his, I found you can make a character super quick, but as you grow in the game, your character definitely can take a lot more time and effort to build. So... Who wants to go next? Robert? Oh, John. John it is. So, obviously Dungeons and Dragons is by far my favorite. Mm -hmm. um, Sorry. Here, in the early 70s, I mean, Star Wars was just starting and indie was the only thing that was out there. Mm -hmm. uh, it hit the college campus. Um, you know, it, it was the first thing where you could interact with somebody's story. So it was so unique in that, that aspect of it. Uh, later on, or closer to modern times, I like Savage Wolves because of its overall simplicity, but its um, ability to adapt to most uh, scenarios. And that's, we're probably borrowing or stealing quite a few of, of, of that from it and robert your your character creation is quick and simple and, <laughs> well no it is i mean yeah uh, and, and i'll tell you that we're going to borrow from that too with a template basis so yeah. um I, I i i like vampire the masquerade for the genre that it is as long as you stay within each of the white wolf systems and don't right. try to yeah. hop between <clears throat> all of them because it doesn't to clarify with White Wolf, <clears throat> I love the base system. D10, you have a stat plus a skill. Roll that many dice versus <clears throat> a target number of 1 through 10. And that was just delightful to me, especially with the reroll. But anyhow, yeah, it wasn't the genre itself, though I like the genre. I'm not going to lie about that. Well, I, I liked it as it was contained within each separate entity. Yeah. That, that's that's the, the, the key thing. And I won't get into the game systems I don't. <laughs> Robert, what about there you? There are many. <laughs> um, so, D&D &D is what it is. And without D&D, &D, I wouldn't have a job. We wouldn't have all of these awesome games that we have today. It is not one of my favorite games. Mm -hmm. um, although I do like 5th edition, 
I I like other games uh, in in some ways a lot better. Right. Like Savage Worlds is one of my modern favorites that I did not like at first, but like John said, once once you see how versatile it is, because um, that's what my gaming group, weekly gaming group of middle-aged men, uh, pre-pandemic, were playing every Tuesday night, Savage Worlds. And I joined them for an FBI game, and then that game ended, and we went into playing Conan, we went into playing vampire Catholics on Mars or something, and, and it covered everything with one system, and that was... That was great because, oh, we don't have to learn new rules. We just make new characters. Um, so that is one of my modern favorites. My very first role-playing game was actually the Marvel superheroes uh, phase rip game, mm-hmm. which memories of that, but trying to play it with my wife and kids a year or two ago, it's I, I remember it fondly, but it's pretty clunky in, in modern oh, yeah. sensibilities. Um, uh um, Amber Diceless played it, liked it. I loved the World of Darkness games there in the in the 90s and 2000s. That was definitely my go-to system. That and and Cinematic Unisystem, which not a lot of people have heard about unless you're playing role-playing games in the 90s. That was the Buffy role-playing game system, mm. and it was great. Um, it, it sort of lies somewhere between GURPS, which was the old clunky generic, you can do anything in the system. And Savage Worlds, the Unisystem kind of lives in the middle there, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, loved loved World of Darkness. Not vampires or werewolves, but being able to play mage, being able to play wraith, uh, changeling was my favorite because I'm a huge fairy tale and mythology buff. Um, but uh, now, now my favorite game uh, is, and I do like the the um, the Star Wars game that we played, the Fantasy Flight right. game. I like the D6 Star Wars game. I'm a huge Star Wars fan, so I like the Star Wars games. Um, but uh, And uh, the Talisman Adventure Fantasy role-playing game, a new one that just came out that I wrote on, that's actually really good for getting... Let me clarify. By wrote on, you mean you have a credit in the book for writing part of something. Yeah, a couple chapters. Just to clarify, in case they, you know people are like, so you, you use crowns or markers when you do that in your book? sharpie i i drew all over the cover um with it uh, but my my modern favorite i thought i had a copy of it oh i do right here uh scum and villainy this is this is my favorite role-playing game right now it it to me is uh everything i wanted the fantasy flight star wars game to be hmm. mixed with it's like han solo mixed with firefly um and this is a, it's an evil hat game. Oop, can't see that, can you? Evil hat there in the back. There's my camera. I don't know. But uh, th- I, I love it. That's that's by far my favorite okay. right now. Let me, let me drag us to where we, I wanted to give this so viewers and listeners have a concept of what our roots were for each of these things. And, and I'm going to probably be more of the, interviewer in this one since I haven't designed a role-playing game I've toyed with the idea but that doesn't mean I've done all the work that goes with it and there is a lot of work so here's what I'd like you both to do in I don't know I want to say two minutes but we know it'll probably go over that why don't you each take a moment to describe the role-playing games you either have worked on and published already or are working on and will be publishing 
John, can we start with you, then go to Robert? Sure. Um, well, we have two. Uh, we have Merger, which is a multi-genre uh, role-playing game based off of our Tether novel. Uh, we're very ambitious in that we want to link uh, comic books, novels, and the role-playing game, and the script or, uh, or possibly shows all together at the same time. Uh, and then our Emissary Wars is our superhero type. Uh, basically, it takes into account uh, geopolitical intrigue and you know how superheroes and organizations interact with each other. But they are both using the same D6 success bases, so in templated heroes. Uh, the, the key thing that we think about is while we're in the design process is, you know, everybody wants their heroes to be heroes, so you don't want the system to get in the way of them making a character um, that's enjoyable to play. Um, but sometimes you have to limit breaking things per se because then it's, right. then it's not fun for the rest of the group that's sometimes playing so eh, it's a little bit of give and take for that and a, a, as a company we also want to we're designing games for interaction with the website and stuff so other authors who have written their worlds we've made it multi-genre so they can plug in part of their book into the game system and we're going to give a a 60-40 revenue ad split and an 80-20 for sales on, on the website. So we hopefully we'll be the first company that's, that's doing those types of things and engaging authors to get involved in, in what we do. It's a great concept. What about you, Robert? Um, the first published role-playing game that I wrote, because I wrote a bunch in my 20s that I played my <laughs> friends um, that never went anywhere because I was like, oh, well, Obviously, I mean, somebody must write these, but it can't be real people. Um, so it is. It's real people. We make dozens of dollars writing. <laughs> um, and um, so my very first published game was Argumental. Uh, it's a game that uses two custom decks of cards and all the dice that you own. All of them. Um, and it was a party style convention game. I wrote it for a convention. Uh, because they wanted Ganderstiff the Goblin to run some role-playing games. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, if he runs D&D, it's going to piss people off, because he doesn't know how to play D&D, even if I do. So he made his own game. Um, and then people wanted to buy it, so he made it so they could buy it. Uh, then I wrote um, Purgatory House and Starship Infernum, which are pick-up-and-play survival horror games. Single-session, infinitely replayable games that are very easy to learn, very easy to jump in. They're not easy to survive. Sort of like a haunted house escape room, uh, and it's powered by Blackjack, um, which adds a lot of tension, a lot of fun. Uh, after that... Hold on, I, wait, wait, wait. I, Let me interrupt, sorry. So no. this is a game which I still don't have a copy, and I'm almost ashamed to say that. Um, <laughs> but I, I want a book and hopefully a signature yeah. scrawled on it. But this is something I can have... I can go over to Ed's house and do a live broadcast, a talk of the tavern with Andrea, Ed, and myself, and we could just have this one book and within yep. minutes be playing. Yes, yes. Okay. I, I, so, yes, for everybody except for the person that's running the game. They have to um, actually read the, the book. running the game, you kind of need to read two chapters of the book. 
You don't have to read oh, the whole book. That's still not bad. That's you, ten minutes, fifteen yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta know how blackjack runs a role playing game because if you try to figure that out as you're playing, I, and people have done it, but you will have a better experience. And I, and I will say this probably for every role playing game out yes. there. Yes. You will have a better experience if the person running the game has read some of the book um, okay. beforehand. Okay, I just I just um, wanted to pimp that point of your game. Yes. Yeah. But anyhow, go on um, with what else you were saying actually, of what else you've done. Uh-huh. Actually, are you mental? You don't have to read any of the book. That one really is. You just start doing it at the table. Did you mean um, different types of dice or all your dice? All your dice. I, all I have the dice. I bags full of dice. All your dice. Like when I, you, you know how Chessex sells those pound yes. or two pounds of dice? When I run this at a convention, which I don't anymore, now I have a street team that runs it at conventions, I would bring three pounds of dice and just pour them on the table. Uh, and then throw in some old Monopoly game dice that had trains on them, and, and any dice you have, you use for this game. Uh, yeah, so uh, that one is available on Drive RPG. It is not available in the box from me anymore. Those sold out the first year we were making them and it's really expensive to make so we haven't made it again um uh purgatory house starship infernum i just released at the start of the pandemic uh horrible time to release a new game uh weird scouts which is oh, one moment family- hold on sorry to interrupt we have another raid coming in I want to say hello to sable aradia an incredible writer diane who streams hello good to see you Thank you very much for the raid, and thank you, everybody, for joining her here in the tavern. We are recording a podcast right now, so pardon us if we don't go too far. Thank you, Kitty, for throwing that raid and that hype up for everybody coming in. We're going to jump back to Robert on the topic here and uh, all that good stuff. Robert, go on. Um, So Weird Scouts is a game about magical kids in an enchanted forest being scouts earning badges and helping the fairy folk that live there. So it's not a combat-focused game at all. It's a problem-solving role-playing game. It's great for families to play together. Uh, I've actually played it more with adults than I have with kids. Um, But uh, that was my last game. And the game I'm working on right now, which is a game I have been working on for four years, uh, five years now, and I published all those other games because I didn't feel ready to publish this game. Uh, and it is Gablonia, the, the, the game basically in the world of Ganesh the Chagamon, uh, mm-hmm. who I wrote books about and performed at festivals. But this is a game about you are goblins in the occupied city of Gablonia, sticking it to Titania one hijink at a time. One wacky hijink, one wacky scheme. I forget what the tagline is, but... Yeah, it's it's a little bit like Paranoia, crossed with Casablanca, crossed with Star Wars. Um, no. So and we're we're already twenty minutes into the episode, so I haven't talked about anything. I know, and this is why I'm going to drag <laughs> us back onto here. So, yeah. as somebody who is, like I said, toyed with the idea and the concept and some of the mechanics, I've never actually done one. So I'm going to go to interviewer mode here. Sure. <clears throat> World building, the the technical side, the combat system, and other systems within the game, or something else. Where do you start when designing a role playing game? 
And, and I will say, I understand everybody's going to start someplace differently and mix and match. But in general, what do you feel you have to lay down as the groundwork to build on? John? Well, I mean, you should have a skeleton for your for the, for the system that you're going to develop. So for us, we have a document and we, we go over each of... Most role-playing games have tons of things that are in common, uh, common. Character creation, combat, initiative, those types of things. Right. Uh, so for us, when we're playtesting, like we're gonna, we're getting ready to playtest initiative. So we're gonna, we have three different initiative systems that we're going to play the scenario with, and then at the end, after we've run them, we're gonna determine which one worked the best within the system. And we do that for each of them to try to obviously come up with the most streamlined and the best part of that. Um, it's, um, then development for your story. I mean, obviously, you kind of have to know that it's a superhero game or it's a multi-genre game. I mean, the, it, that, that part's already kind of predetermined, I guess. So what about you, Robert? Where do you start? I tend to not start with mechanics. Um, I start, and, and this is from being, you know, a, an author and storyteller first, I start with the story. Um, I start with the overall theme and feel of the game, and like, I, I think most of mine start as, oh, wouldn't it be cool to play as, or wouldn't it be cool to imagine being, and, and then my thought process is, okay, is this a book? where I tell the entire story, or is this a game where I want to build the groundwork for other people to tell their stories? But I start with the story. Um, Purgatory House started with a nightmare that I had about being trapped in an endless house with my friends and leaving them behind to die so I could get out. Um, By the way, common nightmare, not even joking, but that, that mystery house with all the extra rooms, very common. Yep. It is, and I didn't realize it at the time. Um, my next step is actually a lot of research. I do a crap ton of research. Let me interrupt real quick. Once again, for everybody who came in on the raid, we are recording a live broadcast for our podcast right now. The topic is role-playing game design, but welcome to all those raiders, and thank you for stopping in. Sorry, Robert, go on. Yeah, um, oh, uh, uh, so a lot of research, and, and yeah. Um, researching for Purgatory House Haunted Houses, researching the fact that that nightmare is actually part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. That is a common nightmare throughout all human existence, uh, which was kind of cool learning that and seeing the different elements of that. Uh, and then mechanics. Mechanics for me are, uh, are they fun? Do they add an element of risk and uncertainty um, to help you drive the story forward, uh, and do they allow the story to happen? That's so a great mechanics philosophy for the mechanics. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, I didn't hear anywhere, does it help bog down the game so we don't get to do as much? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's in, in my book, that's not good mechanics. Um, and, and I will tell my players, my playtesters, when we're doing something, Tell me when you're bored. Tell me when you're pissed. Tell me when you're frustrated. Because that means we're either not communicating or something here is not fun. And it's my job to find what's not fun and get rid of it. Um, and it's not always that it bogs it down. Sometimes it's, this is too easy. 
I don't feel like a hero or I don't feel like I could, there's no stakes. I don't feel like I could die right now. Or I don't feel like if I shot this guy in the face, it would matter. That's all problems that are making it not fun. Right. They need to be solved. And, and if I can interject. Yeah. Um, now, I, I should have maybe have not started off with mechanics because, <laughs> I mean, it is based off the, the overarching thing is that we are basing these off of novels and comic books that we're doing. So the story's kind of already built in. Right. But um, we also, for simplicity and stuff, we have the basic skeleton. But we're also giving options for a DM if they want to add a little bit more, if they want to play rules heavy, then here's your options to do that. And people are going to homebrew your system anyway. Mm. Right. So try to get ahead of them. Give them the homebrew ability to, to, to do that. Here's some options for you to do if you want to add to, to the game. So I'm sorry, go ahead. I know, it's fine. We're passing it back and forth. I, I will say, mechanics are super freaking important, though. I mean, you have to have good mechanics. In, in my world, I like, in my games, I like mechanics that fade into the background. Like, that they're easy enough that once you learn them, you don't have to think about them. You just do them. And, like and tune. Story. Like tune. <laughs> um, but you do have to have mechanics. Right. That's what make, makes it a okay. game. Well, and, okay. And, and our role-playing game is actually a linear timeline, which is interesting in that um, the DM can pick where in the timeline he wants the characters to be because cool. they'll open up tethers and portals to other things and that allows us to bring the other authors worlds into into our thing through the tethers and the portals that we have so let me do this since we only have 45 minutes per episode i want to set world building aside and the reason for that is we have a whole nother podcast just about world building and i'm sure we're going to touch on books and role-playing games in that episode so what I'm going to say is, John, you mentioned you have a base structure. What am I? Hold on. Wordwin says, like kobolds ate my baby RPG. That is a role-playing game, isn't it? Yeah. It's a great one. Anyhow. Yeah. All hail King Tor. John mentioned you have a skeleton, and he previously mentioned you have base mechanics that are common to most role-playing games. Initiative. Combat system. Perhaps, you know weapons and armor and stuff falls under that combat system maybe a magic system or a superpower system or whatever so where do you start with building mechanics after you have your world at least partially dreamed up it's at least a misty forming you have this vague idea of the atmosphere which by the way that's as important as world building atmosphere 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 if you have a dark game there's a big difference between horror and mystery and yeah. adventure and they all can have yep. a dark atmosphere. But we'll get to that with world building, I'm sure. But with the mechanics... Go ahead, John. No, I mean, the, the first thing that, as a game designer or while you're developing the game, is get out of the mode of that this has to be unique that somebody else has not done. I mean, you just... Robert, say that louder. I said, yes, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Go ahead, John. I do. Oh, by the way, Word Away says super simple rules. And I'll just throw that comment in so you guys can build on that too. Go ahead, John. Sorry. Oh, it, it is your world and your story, as Robert went back to, that makes your game system interesting. I mean, and it just is. Um, and 
if you pre-think about all the things that are going to cause your player to be confused or get frustrated and you get rid of those things, that's a, you're, you're ahead of the game already. So, <laughs> Pun intended. Your job is not to control your players. Your job is to give them an interesting thing to play with in a world. Like any toy, you want to um, give them options that they can build on and go in a direction you would have never thought of. Yeah, Robert? absolutely. Um, on the idea of where do you start mechanic-wise, because mm-hmm. um, I agree with everything John just said, uh, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, and you don't have to be different just for the sake of being different. I have heard pitches, uh, and, and by the way, I don't publish other people's stuff, so you can pitch to me all you want. I'm not going to pick it up and publish it for you. Sorry, it's not what I do. But um, I've heard pitches of, it's just like D&D, but we're using 30-sided dice and there's no dwarves. No, no, that's not, you haven't told me anything. You have not given me any reason to want to play this game. If, if you've got to change 30-sided dice and that's your gimmick, you're not there, folks. Um, you're being different for the sake of being different, and that doesn't work. Um, when I start with mechanics, my first thought is, what is my core mechanic what is the mechanic that people are going to use the most often um, and normally that's do i succeed or fail at this task whether that's combat or picking a lock or driving a car how do i determine if i succeed or fail at that that's the core mechanic that i'm designing and every other mechanic in the game either needs to just be that core mechanic or it has to tie in in a very obvious and understandable way. Um, intuitive. So I don't, it has to be intuitive. So I don't have a mechanic for combat and a mechanic for driving a car and a mechanic for singing on stage and a mechanic for... it's. You find that one mechanic. In, in Dungeons & Dragons, it's you have a skill, you roll the d20, and you add your stat modifier. Okay, And, and if you get over... A target number yeah then you succeed okay i explained it a little bit complicated there for dungeons and dragons but you roll a, a d20 and you compare it to a number did you succeed and most role-playing games that's the mechanic roll the dice compare it to a number did you succeed um and once you've got that core mechanic that is your mechanic and if you can make everything and sometimes you can't but if you can have everything else tied back into that then really all people need to remember is one mechanic, one rule, and then the book will tell you how, in special circumstances, to tweak that, how to modify that rule. Um, so that's where I start for mechanics. How do you determine if someone succeeds or fails at an action? Right, and for me, I mean, I have a mathematics background, and I want to do all the math and stuff for you so the players don't have to. Yes. You put that into the system to start with, with probability, and then, you know, you, you, they, they don't need to, well, you give them that caveat if they want to create more things later on within your system. You say, this is how we came up with this template. This, this is worth this, this, and this. Is. But at first you do the math for them. Yeah. So what about <clears throat> character design? Now, I'm not talking about hair, eyes. Um, I'm talking about we, we have a couple different ways of character design. You have point distribution system, you have random rolling, and on top of that, with the point distribution system, you then can add in 
the skills and how you get those and experience points spending it versus just leveling where it's all kind of boilerplate everybody gets the same thing as they go up and choose different things to make it unique D&D is like that um, and I'm oversimplifying but so what about character creation it's how do you for, for, for us it's we're, we're, we're running a templated base system so it's pretty simple everything's D6 so it's based off the number 6 you have 6 points to spend on character creation you, you have mind, body, and soul so you can buy a level 4 template, a 1 and a 1, adds up to 6. You can spend a 3, 2 and a 1, or a 2, 2 and a 2. And then after you pick those templates, you put your name on your character and off you play. Um, you try to make it as, that's part of, you know, kind of doing the math ahead of time and, and building the templates. Um, so what makes each character unique in that system? What makes them special? So they're all archetypes. So, um, if you want to create a gun-toting priest magician, you would pick templates that allow you to do those particular things. That's so mind, body, and soul, they're all separate. What'd you say, Robert? That's what I want to be, the gun-toting priest magician. There you go. Like, I, like, I just like listening to John talk about his game, because now I want to play it. <laughs> That's actually a delightful thing. It's when, when somebody can tell you a story about a game and it makes you want to play it and they haven't even told you about a single adventure or a single no. character or scenario and you're already like, I, I'm interested in what you're seeing here. It's kind of like when you introduce a new book idea and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but here's the concept. And people are like, I already want to know more and you haven't written a word. In a character in a novel, you want to be able to have archetypes or templates that they can recreate that character. Yeah. So we're at about 200 templates, and some are going to go away. Mm -hmm. But each template will be within one of those three areas. And some of them kind of mix and match between the two. But so, Robert? It's having four with templates, kind of. Okay. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to differ from John in this um and possibly to ex an extreme no offense to john because this sounds like great for his game right um to me what what a player needs uh differentiating a player from a gm like a person running the game and there's a lot of modern games that no longer have the gm as part of the equation really um, especially in the more narrative style games now some of them to me are just theater exercises like i would have done in theater class 20 years ago and it bugs me because of that <laughs> but the flip side of that is hey the theater kids from 10 years ago have learned how to make money off of those games that we used to play that not everybody plays because not everybody was a theater major in college um but for me there has to be for a player has to have some way to interact with the game with agency so they have to be able to make decisions that impact the game and two whatever that agency is needs to change and grow um so i've actually played great games where you don't play a character you play a kingdom and you play generations through that kingdom a little bit weird when you mm -hmm. think about it in dungeons and dragons term but it worked as a role-playing game did you have a character you had a kingdom um, you so, had character, but not a character. Correct. 
correct. You you were a kingdom which had characteristics and had right. traits. You had agency to interact with the story, and your character, your kingdom, was able to change and grow. Um, for uh, are you mental? Character creation is done Mad Lib style. You ask a series of questions. People write the answers on slips of paper, shuffle them all together in the center of the table, draw six, and that's your character. Um, it's it's a crazy madcap use all your dice kind of game. So it works for that. Um, for Gablonia or, or for Purgatory House and Starship Inferno, characters are, are quick and easy. You pick three things about your character and you make one of those a level three, one of them a level two, one of them a level one. You pick a special ability and you're off playing. Um, but those those three games, Argumental, Starship Inferno, and Purgatory House, they're meant to be single-shot adventures. There's no character growth. Your character changes in that your character could die and become a ghost uh, in the later two. But there's no character growth. There's no real stat system and experience system because you're only going to play it that one session. And then you can play the game again, but you won't play that exact story again. Mm-hmm. Um the, the game I'm working on now, Gablonia, uh, just last Friday or two Fridays ago, um, I made the decision to go with something that a lot of indie designers are doing now that up until a couple weeks ago I hated, which is called a playbook style of character creation. Um, and what this, it, it's actually exactly what it sounds like. It is a playbook. You have a three or four page little booklet or pages that help you make an individual character and play that character. So like a flow chart? No, it's really a fancy character sheet. It is. Um, it's a fancy character sheet that has absolutely everything you need on it and then some advice on how to play this character and how to make it different from everybody else's. Um, and it's what Scum and Villainy uses, it's what Forged in the Dark, what Powered by the Apocalypse, what these new and I'm going to say they're indie even though they're starting to become mainstream because they started as indie role-playing games um, and and it's a very narrative storytelling style of system but um, what it does is it means that your players like in Dungeons and Dragons, a player of Dungeons and Dragons must own the player's guide to play this game, to play it well Right. right. You gotta have the player's guide. And if you are a family, say, playing the game, and you only have one copy of the player's guide, and you're passing it back between five people, it's frustrating as hell to even make a character. Um, because you're sharing the book and passing it back and forth and flipping and flipping and flipping. And so I made the decision in Gablonia, um, let's, let me try, let me design a playbook. Because especially when it comes to indie games, you can't expect that your players are going to own the rules. In many cases, the person running the game is going to own the book, going to be excited about it, and is going to have to convince the players to give it a try. Mm-hmm. So in Gablonia, they lay out now uh, eight character sheets, eight playbooks, and say, hey, pick one of those that you like, and then we'll walk through character creation together. And it's all on their playbook character sheet. All right. So you've got this bucket of things. Pick one that you like. Okay. We pick that one. And your next bucket of things. Pick one that you like. Okay, we picked that one. Um, and and then you, you're you ready to play. So it kind of is a flow chart. It's so... It, in concept. Great. In concept, not in yeah. structure. Yeah it's, yeah, it's, you know, this, here's your next set of choices, where you're going. So it branches right. out like a tree. It, it kind of pans from a little bit from electronics. 
That, it does. It that, does. That's what I was thinking of when I'm thinking flow charts, as opposed to the corporate flow charts that so many people have. Right. Yeah. I, right. I'm, you say flow charts, and I see square. I see programming flow charts. Right. Which is not quite, but it's sort of. <laughs> yeah. Um, and up until two weeks ago, this was not the way I had designed the game. This is not how we had play tested it for over a year in its current iteration. It was a very traditional character creation. And then um, it was actually, I got a game in the mail, speaking of superhero games, called Masks. Uh, uh, and it looked so much fun to play with my kids, and it uses playbooks. And when I started reading them, I was like, oh, this is super easy, because I just went through that experience with two copies of the player's guide and having to pass them back and forth to make characters and look stuff up and so you you finally got the concept and it clicked and you went this and i was like this flows this will work for my game okay we're running shy on time here so let me let me redirect us you guys are at whatever event convention etc at your table or just got off the stage doing whatever presentation or gaming table running something somebody walks up to you and goes i've got a great idea for making a role-playing game but i have no idea where to start Elevator pitch on getting them started because you got to get to your next damn thing. I know. <laughs> I know. Tell me the story. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I start with your story. Um, start with your story. Play it with your friends. All right, and and those don't have to be in person friends. If it's your friends at a convention, if it's your friends online, your game doesn't have to be done to start fiddling with it. Because um, chances are it'll never be done if you mm. don't start fiddling with it. Um, I, I would usually ask them probably first, is is this just an adventure that you've been playing in somebody else's game? Because that's not the system. You're creating something. That is a fair question, because we've had yeah. people come in here and go, oh, I want to do this. And we're like, wait, wait, wait. Is this an adventure in somebody else's system? Well, yes. Yeah. Okay, so you're not creating a role-playing game. You're writing an adventure. Which, that mm -hmm. is totally legit. And mm -hmm. there are ways to do that now with DMs Guild and whatever the Pathfinder was. I don't know them all because I don't write for them. But there well, are avenues now. DMs Guild, but yeah. Right. Yeah. So... Any other, what advice would you give when they clarify it's not an adventure, they want to make up their own role-playing game? John? Uh, well, the first thing I would ask them is, uh, do you have funding to start the project? Um, because it is, it is costly. And how much time can you dedicate of your time to work on this project? I mean, you need to at least dedicate 10 hours hopefully uh, every two weeks at the minimum yeah. um, right. if you can budget your time properly for that um, do you have a support group that's going to um, give you feedback on this particular system another is play test yeah right play testing and um, what what is I mean you have to also have an end goal too I mean you have to pay yourself if, if that's your goal, is that you're going to be making something as a living. You can't have a living unless you pay yourself. Um, that's, okay. that's very true. I, I, I'm 
we're very fortunate in that we can spend, you know, we have a lot of resources and stuff. Our new gaming table, we're actually developing a digital board to where instead of tokens, you actually have characters that you can change their costumes and they walk around versus tokens moving around on the, on the digital board. Okay. I'm going to... Um, you got one more thing? Because right after you guys are done, I'm going to wrap this up. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um, so uh, on, on what John said, um, most role-playing game designers that I know, most people making role-playing games, have a real job. Um, my full-time job is being an author, but the only reason that's my full-time job is because I have an amazing wife with a good job that provides health benefits. Um, so most designers, most game designers, have a full-time job. Even companies that you think are big companies, like Savage Worlds, there are two people that work full-time at Savage Worlds, and that's it. I know both of them. That's it. Everybody else is a freelancer that gets paid piece by piece by project by project. My advice to anybody making a game, and, I, and it's the same advice I've given Travis before, it's the same advice that was given to me, and I didn't believe it the first time I heard it, it's the same advice that I hear game designers give all new game designers and nobody listens until the first time. Play test the crap out of your game. A year. Play test your game for at least one year. And what playtesting means is you play it with your friends at your table and you get feedback and you learn and you make changes. Then you play test it with other people out in the wild. You go to conventions and you run the game. Then the last phase of playtesting, and if anybody remembers when Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition came out, they released the playtest version of the game for players to play for a full year and give them feedback. They incorporated that feedback and that went into the final game. So the last part of playtesting, and this is the one that people don't wanna do, it's the scary one, is give your game to other people to play and don't teach them how to play it and wait and see what they tell you about the game. If they can record themselves playing it, great. But that's the advice. Play test, play test, play test. Because what will happen is you'll be all excited about your game, you'll push it out in three months or six months, and then when people start playing it, they will be play testing your published game and tell you what's wrong with it, and you'll be kicking yourself because you wish you had made those changes before you went to print. And even multi-million dollar companies, yep. Wizards of the Coast, yep. I mean, they might play test a, a, a Magic the Gathering for a whole year, and players will tear it apart. Yeah. In a yeah. Second. There we go. Great closing advice, guys. Let me take us out of here. Say goodnight to everybody. Robert's waving. <laughs> okay, let's take us out. Before we go, I want to remind everyone that you can email us at writenightshow at gmail.com. That's right with the W, night with an N, show at gmail.com. To let us know your thoughts on the show's topics, suggest other topics you'd like to hear us discuss, or just have a message read out on air to someone in your life. Thanks to everyone for supporting the show by downloading the podcast, sharing it on social media, grabbing some shirt stickers and mugs from bit.ly slash tavern merch, or barware patches and hats from bit.ly slash tavern merch too. That's bit.ly slash tavern merch or tavern merch followed by the number two thanks to everyone who joined us live at twitch.tv slash travis tavern talk and everyone who supports the tavern by subscribing posting throwing bits raids and most of all commenting
You know the old saying, selling like hotcakes? What does that even mean? What is a hotcake anyway? They should change it to selling like Hondas, because right now, Hondas are selling faster than ever. Probably because they're so rugged, long-lasting, and fuel-efficient. And if you want one, you should get to your local Honda dealer right away. Check out the 8-passenger pilot, or maybe the adventurous passport. But you gotta do it fast, because Hondas are selling like, well, Hondas. New models are arriving now. Don't wait. See your local Honda dealer today. Tis the season for those irresistible ginger thins, cozy blankets for cuddling by the fire, and making home warm and welcoming. For one-stop holiday shopping, visit your local IKEA or ikea-usa.com slash holiday. Thank you for joining author Travis I. Sivart and the other writers, content creators, and all-around amazing people for our discussion here on Writing. Join us again soon, and until you do, make sure you create with passion, enjoy the journey, and remember, every night can be right enough. At Capella University, you're in control of your education. With the game-changing FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines and move at your own pace. The faster you move, the more you save. Visit capella.edu to learn more.